My phone vibrated in my pocket, startling me, and I almost dropped the blood-stained hacksaw. I cursed under my breath as I set the tool down carefully on the chest of my victim. I stepped away from my operating table, pulled the rubber glove off my right hand, and slid it under my smock and delved into the pocket of my jeans to retrieve my phone. It was my boyfriend. I closed my eyes and sighed, disappointed with myself for forgetting. I hesitated for a few moments before answering, letting the bright LED lights in my basement glow through my eyelids. I accepted the call. Hey, cutie. I cooed. Lucas grunted. I hate it when you call me cutie. I could tell from his tone that he was smiling. I was pretty sure he didn't hate it. You almost ready? Um, I'm a little bit behind on that. Sorry, I lost track of time, I told him. Technically, that wasn't a lie. Lucas snickered. You watching that zombie show again? My eyes came to rest on the pool of blood forming around the dead man's head, spilling from the gap in his neck I'd made with a hacksaw. I turned around and faced the wall. Despite my best efforts, my voice wavered slightly. Uh, yeah. Definitely a lie. It's all right. I'll go pick up stuff for dinner first, then come and get you after. That all right? He offered. Yeah, that's perfect. That'll give me plenty of time to get ready, I agreed, hoping he couldn't hear me swallow harshly. Nim, is everything okay? Are you nervous? Ice went up my spine. Ner- nervous? No, why would I be nervous? Because you're meeting my folks for the first time, Lucas reminded me. Right, I sighed. Right, I, I suppose I am. I leaned backwards until my butt hit the edge of my operating table, the plastic cover crinkling softly. I went to rub my eyes with my still-gloved left hand, but stopped before I smeared blood on my face. Honestly, Lucas, I'm really not that worried about meeting your parents. I... A loud clang cut me off, and I leapt away from the table and spun. The hacksaw slid off the body and clanged to the cold, hard floor in my basement. Luckily, the plastic sheet kept any crimson from staining the concrete. My heartbeat slowly returned to normal. You okay? What was that? Came Lucas's voice, concerned. Nothing, just being clumsy as usual. Anyways, your parents seem like really kind people from what you've told me. I'm looking forward to it. This was not a lie. I smiled. All right. It's okay if you're nervous, though. It's only natural. But I should probably let you go. I'll see you in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Love you, I told him. Love you too, Nim, he said back. The call ended. I lowered the phone from my ear, staring at the dead body on my table. The middle-aged man reminded me of a beached whale. Not because he was fat, he wasn't, but because he looked out of place. His colorful button-down shirt and blue jeans, a bright contrast to the whites and grays of my basement workshop. The dark blood that spilled from his body to the table and the brown rope that bound his arms and legs were a chromatic bridge between the land of vibrance and the land of shade, between life and death. 
Sorry. I spoke to the work of art on my table. I'll have to leave you like this for a little while. Got dinner plans with my boyfriend. I'll spend more time with you later. I smirked at the irony of talking to a dead man, and then left to wash up. I tugged at a lock of golden blonde hair that curled down in front of my face, feeling unsettled as I watched streetlights pass by my passenger side window. If Lucas had shown up without calling, he might have discovered my hobby. I felt his hand set against my leg just above my knee. I turned to him, the seatbelt sliding against my bright red dress, and smiled, sending my hand on top of his. Lucas continued watching the road ahead. You can talk to me if you want to, he said. He glanced at me briefly, as much as he could while driving. What's bothering you, I mean? I would probably be on edge all night after earlier. It would be easier to admit I was apprehensive of my first dinner with his family. I exhaled. It's hard not to be nervous about it. I know it'll be fine. I'm glad you're here for me, but there's not a whole lot to talk about. I smiled warmly and squeezed his hand. He nodded understandingly and pet my knee comfortingly. I'm sure I'll be nervous when I meet your parents too, Lucas commented. I coughed and then forced a slight laugh that turned into more of a scoff. <laughs> yeah, they're always off traveling the world for business or pleasure, so I have no idea when that will be, I said, unable to keep the antipathy out of my voice. It was more complicated than that, of course. Sorry, I shouldn't have brought that up, said Lucas, his mouth drooping into a frown. His fingers started to lift away from my leg, but I tugged him back and held his hand there. A sort of physical way to say no apology necessary. His smile returned. Then Lucas flicked his blinker on and began to slow down. Here we are, he announced. The house was bigger than I had expected. Not a mansion per se, but if you had the money for a place like this, a mansion probably wasn't too far off. They had a large, beautiful yard and behind the house I could see an in-ground pool, and further on their property faded into a thick bushy tree line. You never told me you were rich, I exclaimed. Half joke, half question. Lucas rolled his eyes. The property's been in the family for a long time. We could never afford a place like this if we hadn't inherited it, he shrugged. I don't like bringing people here, because it always gives them the wrong idea. I know you've told me, it's just more than I expected. You're pretty lucky. I relinquished his hand back to him as we pulled through a gate into his driveway, stopping behind a sedan. As he put the car in park, Lucas looked to me, our eyes meeting. I am lucky, but not because of the house. I felt a welcome warmth spread through me, coloring my face, and I leaned towards him. He met me in a kiss, and I basked in the moment, forgetting all my troubles for a few seconds before he pulled away and unhooked his seatbelt. As we moved from the car to the front door, I saw him look over at the sedan with a furrow in his brow, and his eyes scanned up and down the rest of the driveway. I almost asked him about it, but my heartbeat distracted me. It was starting to pound again. I gulped realizing that I might actually be a little nervous about meeting his parents, 
Or it really could have just been the dead body sitting unattended in my basement like a half-cooked meal. Lucas pulled a long skeleton key out of his pocket and fitted into the heavy door. He twisted it rigidly, unlocking the barrier with a loud clack and a groan of grinding metal. I managed to smirk. Jeez, you must feel like you're unhinging the gates of hell every time you come home. My boyfriend's shoulders tensed for a moment, but then he relaxed. It is kind of ominous, isn't it? Lucas agreed with an uneasy laugh. He often complained about how much he hated his old creaky home. It was my turn to apologize. Sorry, I, I shouldn't joke like that. Lucas pushed the door open. Come on, don't feel bad about that. It's just a stupid house. I joke about it all the time. It was a true statement, but the smile he gave felt fake. Not that I can judge. Hello? Mom? Lucas called. Come on in, dear. Is she with you? I heard a sweet voice answer from inside the house. Lucas's smile became genuine, and he beckoned for me to follow him in. Inside the house was a little more modern than I had expected, but just as extravagant as the exterior advertised. Smooth wood floors that almost sparkled in the foyer and in the dining room to the right. I gawked at the pristine kitchen, like something you'd see on a television show, as we walked through it to the living room, which boasted a huge LED flat screen, a big sectional couch, a love seat, and an extravagant wine rack against the back wall. Flickering on a coffee table between the couches was a fat red candle. Colorful paintings with ornate frames and some priceless-looking decorative artifacts adorned the walls. Even if Lucas and his family wasn't rich, someone in their lineage definitely had been. Lucas's mom was sitting in the living room, and she stood as we entered, a grand smile spreading across her face. Her long black dress twisted gracefully as she turned to greet us, its deep abyssal color matching her dark hair perfectly. Mom, this is my Nim. Nim, this is my mother. Lucas introduced us, gesturing accordingly. The woman approached, setting a half-full wine glass down on an end table as she swayed towards me. It's so nice to finally meet you, Nim. I'm Miss Addington. You can call me Lily. Her voice was sweet like amber, and immediately made her feel warm and familiar. I held my hand out for her to shake, but rather than take it right away, the woman regarded it cautiously. She smirked and then shook hands as if she was humoring a child. I squeezed her hand tighter than I normally would have, and felt confused on how to interpret my first impression of her. It's nice to meet you too, Miss Addington. I released her hand. Dad's car wasn't in the driveway. Is he here? Lucas inquired. In response, Lily pulled a smartphone out of her pocket and waved it slightly while she stepped back towards the couch. He texted a minute ago, said he got caught at work but he'd be here soon. Lucas nodded and moved further into the room, sitting on the love seat across from the sectional. He motioned for me to follow but I hesitated. I was pretty sure my dress was long enough to conceal the knife I kept sheathed in my right boot. But just in case, I didn't want to sit directly across from his mother. 
I grasped at straws for a reason to stay standing or to move somewhere else. Um, oh, don't we have groceries to bring in? You stopped at the store, right? I asked, addressing Lucas. He turned pale and stared at me, his jaw flexing like he was looking for something to say. I furrowed my brow at him, utterly confused by his demeanor, but then saw Miss Addington cross her arms out of the corner of my eye. Lucas, she began sternly, I thought I told you not to worry about bringing anything. I don't want you spending your money on food while you live here. That's our responsibility. Lucas went from pale to red, blushing, his mouth twisting at being chastised. I know, I know, fine. I just thought I would help in case we needed anything, he explained. Now I really wanted to leave the room, as an odd tension filled the space like a fog. Why don't I just go bring those in anyways? Don't want anything going bad sitting out there, I offered. Lucas waved his hand. None of it was perishable. It can sit in the trunk. I'll take care of it later. Come sit. Lucas bid me with a smile, the tension fleeing from his face. Yes, and, oh, his mother exclaimed. She stood up and started walking towards the far side of the room. I took the opportunity to sit beside Lucas and check the bottom of my dress while Lily's back was turned. The hilt of my knife was perfectly concealed. I let out a breath I didn't realize I'd been holding in. When I breathed in again, I noticed the burning candle was giving off a subtle scent of cinnamon. It was pleasant. You okay? Lucas asked as I sat up. Yeah, I reported happily. I scooched closer to him and took his hand. Nim, do you have a wine preference? Lily asked as she turned from the wine rack with a bottle in her hands. I laughed uneasily. I think I'd have to try wine first. Splendid! I've got quite the selection here. Perhaps a sangria? Lily suggested expectantly. I appreciate the offer, but I think I'll wait until I'm twenty-one, I said, trying to turn her down as politely as possible. Very well. I'm surprised, though, Lily remarked as she replaced the bottle of wine. Most kids jump at the offer. My eyes narrowed. I couldn't help it. How many kids have you offered alcohol to? I asked, hoping the hint of edge to my voice wasn't discernible. Lucas's grip tightened. Miss Addington spent a moment making sure the wine bottle was secure in the rack, and then turned back towards us. Oh, I didn't mean it like that. I was just thinking of myself at your age. I wasn't very well behaved as a child. <laughs> she giggled, remembering her youth fondly. She returned to her seat, retrieved her wine glass off the table, and settled into the cushions. So, she began, but she didn't get a chance to finish. The room was illuminated brightly by headlights shining through the window, and the rumble of a car engine became audible for a moment before it abruptly stopped. Oh, Dad's home, Lucas observed. He squeezed my hand twice quickly and then let go as he stood and began moving towards the front door. He passed through the kitchen and moved out of sight into the foyer. The lights outside shut off, and I heard a car door open and close. Moments later, the front door grinded open, the sound echoing through the house as if it truly was the gate to hell. Evening, Lucas, a voice greeted my boyfriend. 
It was a voice I'd heard before, one that sent ice through my veins. I didn't place it at first, so I turned my head and strained my ears. Is the lovely lady here? You mean mom or my girlfriend? Lucas asked awkwardly. The man laughed as he began walking further into the house. Both, I suppose. I'd encountered that voice only once, in a dream. One of the dreams that told me who I had to kill. One of the dreams that chose my victims for me. My eyes widened in horror as he rounded the corner in his colorful button-down shirt and blue jeans. The man who had been dead on the operating table in my basement. The man I had attacked, subdued, and murdered with a hacksaw. My eyes traveled up his body. No rope burn on his wrists, no blood on his shirt, no marks on his neck, and his eyes stared straight at mine. He grinned. Welcome home, dear, Lily greeted him. Sorry I'm late, honey. Just got a little tied up. Working at a psychiatric hospital, I thought I had seen everything. We had a delusional old lady that thought she was Cleopatra for the last 30 years, and absolutely freaked out if you didn't tell her what Mark Anthony was doing. A man that tried to kill his younger brother, drowning him in holy water, because he claimed the child was the Antichrist. A teenage boy that firmly believed to be a lawnmower. He never talked, only made whirring noises. But all of this looked like children's play when I was assigned to Amanda Jameson. Amanda was only 28. Her crooked figure made me uneasy, but if you looked at her normal parts, you could see she used to be a girl-next-door type of beauty. She was smart, too. When all of this started, Amanda was enrolled in a good university. Others had been assigned to her before, and I had their notes, but I still had to interview Amanda and make her repeat her story to me. Every single nurse and psychiatrist that took care of her had abruptly quit the job. I knew one of the nurses, Jocelyn, and called to know what was going on after she stopped showing up at work. After I insisted a lot, her sister simply told me Jocelyn had decided to move to another state and wouldn't talk to anyone she knew before. I sighed deeply and entered Amanda's room. She was fidgeting with a small plastic bear holding a red heart. Hello, Amanda. I'm Dr. Hudson, but you can call me Lena. How are you today? Hello, Dr. Lena Hudson. She answered emotionlessly. She was still scratching her left eye, or what was left of it. Same as always, thank you. The files said Amanda suffered from an unknown psychosis, but at first glance, she seemed in full possession of her mental faculties. I would do my best not to let it fool me, but showed no signs of insanity whatsoever. It was an impression hard to shake off. I know you have been through this before, but bear with me. I need you to tell me how it all started, if you please. I was twenty, and living with my college boyfriend, she said, still in a neutral, lucid tone. I always had allergies, so I was no stranger to feeling my eyes itchy. But it wasn't even spring, and it seemed abnormal to me. 
You know when you come out of the shower and find loose strands of hair everywhere in your body? It was something like that. Yes, I know the feeling. It's pretty annoying, I agreed. I felt a really thin and long hair inside my left eye. I spent some good minutes in front of the mirror trying to find it and grab it, but I couldn't. I couldn't. She repeated, sounding a little distressed. Now my eyes not only were itchy, they were also very red and sore. Fortunately, Henry's older brother is an ophthalmologist. Henry was my boyfriend back then, she explained. I told him I really needed to have my eye examined because something was wrong with it. He started to say I just need to stop scratching it and use some eye drop, but I was physically unable to stop. The itching was... So bad. When Henry saw how swollen my eye was, he called his brother, Dr. E, and took me there. As expected, by Henry, Dr. E said nothing was wrong with me. He said there was nothing inside my eye and that I just had a bad case of allergies. I don't blame Dr. E. He examined me thoroughly and gave me a corticosteroid eye ointment. I know that usually it would be enough, but it wasn't the case for me. He's really nice, you know. He still visits me sometimes and says he's sorry he couldn't help me better. I'm glad to know it, Amanda, I sympathetically remarked. Anyway, that night is hell. I can't sleep. I put the ointment, but I really have to scratch, and I really need to grab the hair. It bothers me so much. So much. It's hard to describe how desperate the feeling was, so I do it and take all the eye medicine off so I have to put it again. But I also need to scratch again. I know how it sounds like I'm childish. I have no self-control. It's just a normal allergic crisis. I just have to stop scratching it and get some sleep, and things will be fine. But they won't. They won't. I used to have a strong mind, but this is so bad, I, it's so bad I want to die. I couldn't sleep at all that night, and the itching was unbearable. My eye was so sore and swollen I couldn't even open it. The other eye was completely normal. Why, doctor? Why only one of my eyes was this bad? I don't think you're childish, Amanda, I replied with sincerity. I had no other answer to offer. I make it through the night somehow, but every second is torture. I can't stress this enough. It's pure hell. She flinches, remembering the sensation. Henry leaves for his classes. I'm desperate for the itch to stop. I do something dumb, something I know it's dumb, but I don't mind, because the only important thing is getting rid of the invisible hair. I grab tweezers and try to pick the hair inside my eye with them. I do my best to suppress an ouch. It hurt so much, doctor. I'm starting to go out of my mind. My sclera is completely effed up. The whole area of my left eye is bleeding, 
and I'm probably going permanently blind by now. But I just want it to stop. I just want it to stop. I, I, I just want it to stop. She makes a long pause. I understand you, Amanda. What happened after you tried to use the tweezers? After two hours of agony using the tweezers for a glorious moment, I felt like I was able to pull the hair off. I never felt this relieved in my life. But then I became paranoid. I can't let it happen again. It will kill me. It will drive me insane. She gestured around the room with bitter irony. You know it did. You're not necessarily insane, Amanda. You just have an unknown problem, and you're safer here. She gave me a half-smile, but unfortunately it was creepier than anything I ever saw. I did my best not to show how her smiling face terrified me. Thank you, Doctor. Anyway, once again I was being irrational, and I knew it. But being rational didn't matter at the time. I only cared about not feeling that terrible agony again. So I got rid of all the hairs on my body. Protecting my eyes, I waxed myself. I went bald. I removed my eyebrows and even my eyelashes. I looked like a freaky monster, but it wasn't important to me. I then cleaned the house like a crazy person. I vacuumed everything, too. I threw a lot of clothes and stuff away, and I refused to let Henry get in unless he had zero hairs on his body, too. Did he comply? No. I don't think anyone in their right mind would do it. Poor Henry went to stay at his friend's house and called my parents. They were surprised because I had no story of mental issues. Nor did anyone in my family. She bit her horrendously deformed lip. Shortly after, Henry gave up on getting in. I realized just getting rid of all that hair wasn't enough. I had to make sure it couldn't... enter. She paused. I see. So I got my sewing kit and stitched my eye. I shivered. When my family found me, I looked awful. My whole body was naked in every sense. I refuse to wear clothes because they have tiny hairs. Even now, I only wear seamless plastic stuff. My eye was awfully swollen and stitched. I screamed the whole time that they had to get rid of all their hairs to be in contact with me. I'll admit to you I was a mess, Doctor. It was the first time I was put here. You're very brave to share your story, and your point of view is very reasonable, Amanda. I encouraged her. Thank you, Doctor. After that, I was put to sleep most of the time. It was a relief because I know I wasn't in my right mind, and despite my relief, I was still feeling paranoid. After a few days, my fear proved to be true, and it simply came back. It came back, Doctor. The invisible hair, the unbearable itching that literally drove me insane. It was back inside my stitched eye. How did it get in, Doctor? D 
Deep down, I knew it would. I knew I wouldn't really get rid of it. I knew things would never be normal anymore. She sighed. But I wasn't ready to feel that desperation again. I silently read the notes from her first psychiatrist regarding this moment. Amanda Jameson had let her nails grow. I felt so bad for her and was naive to allow it. Thinking she simply wanted to feel feminine after getting rid of her hair and eyelashes in a psychotic fit. She was so normal after that, so sane, that I got carried away. But she wanted to hurt herself. She mercilessly dug her long nails between the stitches clawing at her own cornea, making blood and eye goo come out. Her alien hairless figure made it creepier. I'll definitely recommend completely restraining her if the nurses hadn't done it by now. I had to be restrained because I was hurting myself. Now that was the ninth circle of hell. If I thought before that things couldn't get worse, I was wrong. The itching was awful when I could scratch it, but I can't even put into words how painful to my body and mind it was to not be able to scratch. I thought of suicide. The whole time, I had to be awake. So I requested to have someone to talk all the time. Being tied to the bed, it was the only thing that could bring me some relief and distraction. It was a very reasonable request, so the clinic allowed it. I was assigned a very sweet nurse, Samira. She would tell me entertaining stories. It was like the book One Thousand and One Nights. One day, she asked what happened to me and I told her. She was horrified and ended up quitting after that, but I had piqued the interest of other nurses. One after another, I told them my story so far. This went on for weeks, since I would only be awake for like four hours a day. These hours were a nightmare, but having people to chat with really made it less unbearable. I read the notes of her second doctor. As abruptly as it started, Amanda Jameson's unknown psychosis seemed to go away. Being restrained is very difficult, and we tried to avoid it, but it was crucial for her physical well-being. Instead of falling into a depression, the patient fought it, asking to be surrounded by people, and showing positive behaviors. This young woman has a strong and fascinating mind, but I digress. There are strong evidences that her mysterious condition subsided or is cured, so I'll recommend the hospital to release her and the family to keep her under constant but discreet surveillance. Somehow, after a few weeks, the itch completely disappeared. They still kept me here for a while, but I didn't need to be restrained. It was the first time in a whole year that I felt normal. My hair was growing back, and even the paranoia that it would happen again was under control. I wanted to enjoy the peace while it lasted, you know. The first thing I did was to break up with Henry, to set him free. He didn't have the courage to do it while I was here. 
The poor guy was a mess, but still trying to be a gentleman. I liked him. But I wanted to make sure that this thing was really gone before I could think about dating. It just wasn't a priority. I didn't feel ill, but I was still a mess physically, and I wasn't ready to go back to college, so I moved back with my parents. Things were fine at first. They were so good to me. They got rid of every piece of furniture or decoration with hairs in the whole house. They even rehomed their poor old dog to my sister's house for my sake. They didn't get rid of their own body hairs, of course, but bought hazmat suits to use whenever they were around me. I insisted I was fine and that it wasn't necessary as long as they wore aprons and caps like you're wearing now but they didn't want to trigger anything bad in me. It was the first time I realized how they must have been suffering because of my condition. She wiped a tear from her good eye. This is important, Amanda. You can't avoid a mental illness. But thinking about how hard it is on your loved ones will give you strength to fight it the best you can. I didn't feel the hair inside my eye for months. I felt good enough to let my hair grow, as long as my mother washed it for me, using a plastic barrier to keep it from falling in my face. And most of the time I kept it inside a cap, but it felt good. It felt like preparing to have a completely normal life again. For the first time since I was back, my parents felt confident enough to leave me unsupervised. It was their wedding anniversary and they deserved to have a good time. They went to a fancy restaurant. It would be just a few hours. I could be fine. I knew I could. But of course, that's exactly when it came back. I don't know if it was because I was free for months, but the agony felt worse than before. It was like I had now many hairs instead of a single strand. I scratched and screamed and cried, but nothing was ever enough. Finally, I came to the conclusion that the only way to get rid of it is getting rid of my eye itself. I sighed and read the third doctor's notes. Amanda Jameson was somewhat of a legend to me, but she's real and she's back. She was left alone at home for a few hours and burned half her face with acid. The older nurses said she was monstrous when she didn't have a single hair in her body. But I bet nothing can compare to what she looks like now. The left side of her body was better off gone than how it is now. A fleshy, infectious wound showing more the muscle that should be inside than anything else. There's no skin anymore. Part of the flesh of her nose is missing and her mouth looks like the worst cleft lip I have ever seen. It's like the left portion of her mouth was liquefied and it was incorrectly reassembled all over the lower portion of her face. In time, Amanda will be left with nasty scars and a very deformed chin. But miraculously, she can still speak, breathe, and eat. I don't know if this fact makes her less or more bizarre. The eye. 
I don't know how to describe what's left of the eye. The surgeon had to open the stitched mass of gore and remove it. But the first thing she said when she woke up was that she can still feel the invisible hairs moving inside her empty socket. And she'll still scratch it. This doctor was right about the nasty scars. It's very difficult to look at her. But as her doctor, I have to. Nowadays, Amanda at least has hair. She concluded that the invisible hairs are not actually hair. So it doesn't matter if she gets rid of her hair or not. But worried about making her condition even worse, the clinic forbids the employees to have contact with her. Without a plastic apron and cap. And she can't wear clothes with hairs, have regular sheets, or get plush dolls either. According to the other doctor's notes, Amanda's condition has been on and off for the past years. Sometimes, she will scratch her eye for months straight. She isn't being restrained anymore because, well, there's nothing else to damage. Her eye is completely gone. Sometimes she has a few weeks of a break from the devastating itch. But I don't want to leave this place. I know it's a matter of time until the itch is back, and I'm scared of what I'll do. I don't want to make my parents even more miserable. I want to keep living and hope that someday someone will discover what it is and maybe a cure, she said. I noticed that she hasn't been scratching her eye, and I use this term very loosely. For the last 40 minutes... Is the itching gone for now, Amanda? Yes, doctor. It seems so. She smiled. I wish I could beg her to never smile again. This sight made me immediately finish the session to throw up. It's been two weeks since I've been assigned to Amanda, and she is in one of her good, itch-free periods. Besides her deformed looks, she's a very easygoing patient. It was so hard typing this, because I had to stop to scratch my eye the whole time. But I feel like talking to other people will help, at least for a while. My left eye is uncontrollably, unbearably itchy right now. What about yours? <laughs>